You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. It's a police box. What on earth is he doing here? Hey, these things are usually on the street. I feel it. Feel it, you feel it? It's a faint vibration. It's alive. Earth Station Who? A fun mashup celebrating nearly 50 years of Doctor Who universe. Hold tight. You never know where the TARDIS is going next. Who are you? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that again. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Now please, get off this planet while you still have a choice. Good afternoon everybody and welcome to the Brit Tracks. My name is Mike Faber, and we are recording this as an episode of Earth Station Who. We are a Doctor Who podcast based off of the ESO network, and we are talking all about what makes the Doctor the Doctor. It's going to be a lot of fun to do, and I wanted, before we get started, wanted to let everybody know that if anyone wants to donate to the charity for... You know, Dragon Con that they are doing the American Heart Association this year. We have buckets up here. You're going to see that in most panel rooms. And if you have a little couple extra shekels, it'd be great if you could help out. Dragon Con is actually going to be matching up to a hundred thousand dollars of everything that's donated. So let's make them pay. Exactly. We really want Dragon Con to pay for this. So. Of course, then your memberships will go up next year. So. Small price. Exactly. But it helped the American Heart Association, so there you go. So it's going to be a lot of fun talking about it. Let me introduce everybody up here to my left. Ready? Hi, everyone. I'm Mary Ogle, and it is great to be here. I'm a co-host on Earth Station Who. Okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Faulkner. You may have heard me on the ESO Network before on Earth Station Who and on the Dragon Con Con Report. I also run a, bl- a blog called Creative Criticality. It's at creativecriticality.net where I run the Timestamps Project, which is my look at Doctor Who from the very beginning of the franchise in 1963 all the way forward, one story per week. I think I'm up to the uh, the 10th Doctor and the Martha era right now. How appropriate. That's very awesome. Yeah. <laughs> she just happens to be here. Right. You know? <laughs> so it, it, that's cool. Howdy. 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 All right. <laughs> Uh, my name is Mike Gordon. I am a, a writer, publisher, and uh, also a co-host on Earth Station One and Earth Station Who. My name is Tara Newman, and I'm today's ESO's companion for this panel. Um, I do have a podcast, Eclectic Readers. If any of you are book, nerd, book nerds, check it out. We actually found her wandering and said, hey, you want to be on a panel? Come in this blue box. It's the adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> So, uh, we're going to get started, and the way we do our panels is we want you guys involved. So, please, as we're discussing, if you have any thoughts, any questions, just raise your hands and we'll blurt out whatever you guys want to say and we'll try to answer questions or thoughts, whatever we want to do. We just we like being more interactive than the most panels. We're here not to talk at you. We're here to talk with you. And it doesn't look like we have a roaming mic, so we'll try to repeat the questions when... Actually, we have one right up here. Do we? Yes. And if we, we would need to have somebody be our mic person. Hi. Judy? <laughs> just carry the microphone and I think we just turn it on and... That's my first song. Yeah, just carry the microphone. Exactly. Thank you, a, thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. I think it's on. I think it's on. Top of the top. It's on green. Okay. Okay. So, so we're going to get started. And, you know, what makes the doctor the doctor? The doctor has evolved since we first saw William Hartnell. And, you know, in the very first episode, you know, he wanted to leave you know, his companions in the prehistoric era, you know, and he wasn't, you know, the most caring, wonderful person. Not to mention he wanted to bash one of them in the head with a rock, right? And it was just like, and he went from there, and slowly he became the doctor that we knew and loved. We actually recently watched 
Uh, can you hear us in the back? Is that is that any better? Okay. I guess we'll have the microphones like this. All right. This is all better now. All right. All right. So we're talking about Doctor Who today. So let's start over. Hi, my name. No, I'm just kidding. So we are um, basically the Doctor Evolved. We recently talked on the podcast about the War Machine, and basically, I think to me, that's when Hartnell had his first real true doctor moment when he stood up to the robots remember and it was just awesome but the doctor of course had at that point it was already two years he had Hartnell had been playing the doctor and he was groaning through it and from that point on you know you saw different things you know like with the second doctor, everyone underestimated him because he had the hobo look and such, and, you know. And then, but he was always the smartest guy in the room, and that's one of the qualities with the doctor. Yeah, we are definitely curious to hear what you guys have to say about you know what makes a what's an essential part of being Doctor Who, uh, not only the character, but what makes a Doctor Who story the Doctor Who story. Um, and uh, yeah, we, I'm definitely curious to hear what the panel thinks as well. Um, just remember, there are no wrong answers. It's all subjective, unless you believe that the Doctor can only be played by a straight white man. And that's a wrong answer. But other than that, <laughs> I, I look at as you bring up the War Machines and, and how the series has been running for about two years to that point. Um, I also look at how the series was evolving at that point too. Like they initially started it as, as an educational type series, a children's show. Yeah, they wanted the children to be educated about history, about uh, all these things through the view of three companions and the Doctor. And you get to that point in the War Machines where it, you start to build in the the compassion for the human race, the the telling of you know of what science fiction really is as an allegory of the human condition, you know, placed into terms that we can understand as as a people. And you really start to build those blocks together. It took about two years to, as we say in the, in the fandom, you know, fully make. Yeah. No, exactly. And it's interesting because, especially as the show evolved, you started having. You know, the Doctor becoming a lot of times bigger than life. Right. And it was, you know, especially when you saw Tom's Doctor. And, you know, when he showed up with the grin and the hair, you know, and the scarf. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it was just awesome. And I think from that point on, the Doctor pretty much was bigger than life. Right. And I always wondered with Doctor Who is... You know, does the doctor have some kind of power or some kind of, I guess, like a pheromone or something like that that makes everyone trust him as soon as he walks in and everything? Because he always goes into the situation and he's all right in the middle of it, and it's like the doc Everyone's like, "There's something about this man that we trust him." So funny you say that because I actually think Jodie Whittaker's doctor doesn't have that. I think she goes into the situation. There's a lot of times in this last season where she's like, "Someone, please listen to me. I am definitely the smartest person in this room," and and she doesn't get listened to. Um, so I I think that's that's funny that you do say that. Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. That they really downplayed that this season to the detriment of her character. It, it's interesting because I I see it as a detriment for the character because of what we're used to uh, with with the since the revival of of the, the doctor being up front. Uh, but we, I think it's also unique for this this character because we're starting to get away from the Doctor really being the smartest person in the room and being able to solve everything. One of my biggest complaints about the Matt Smith era was was that you know he'd always have it back in reserve and, and everyone's fighting, 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 and finally he just whips out like, "Here's the answer: a, a literal Deus Ex Machina, right? The, the God from the Machine yeah. complex." Uh, one of my favorite things about the, like the Sylvester McCoy era and into the, the Capaldi era to a sense, and now now Whitaker's era, is that they don't just rush in and say, "I'm the Doctor," and everyone runs scared. It's okay, you're the Doctor. It's, there's a mystique again about the character. There's there's a mystery, so that they have to kind of prove themselves a little bit and, and show the universe that indeed they have the tools and the capabilities to solve the problem. Yeah, that actually, to me, is one of the defining characteristics of the Doctor is, is the otherness, the alienness. Yeah. The, yeah. And I think that's a you know that's a very useful way for us to examine the human condition by using that as a metaphor and an allegory for what's going on with ourselves. 
And I think if it's not a if it's not a physical actual like you know like Gallifreyan aura so to speak, I think just his level of confidence is something that because usually he's in going into situations where you know everybody's panicking, nobody knows what's going on or whatever. But he has a certain confidence. Not only uh, if he doesn't know, even if he doesn't know, the, he or she doesn't know the issue, um, that they're going to be able to solve it. And you know, part of that comes from the fact that you know, if he dies, no big deal; he can just regenerate. <laughs> so I, I think Nine's a great example of that, actually, because he doesn't look that weird, right? When you look at like Nine's outfit, he looks—you could walk by Nine and not think anything was strange about him. But the way he acts and the way he comes across makes him very obviously alien. Right. But then with the opposite, you had Tennant, who felt very human in a lot of ways with his caring and everything, too. Mm-hmm. So, and I also felt that a lot with the fifth doctor. And, you know, Peter Davison was the same way. I think you were going to get that, too. I mean, we didn't really see it develop, at least on screen, with uh, Paul McGann. Oh, God. Paul McGann's doctor's one of my favorites. Yeah, you do see that on the big finish, yes. though. Go, yeah. go listen to the big finish, Paul McGann's, because he's amazing in those. It's neat because with Doctor Who, and you know when you you know the Doctor's there, everything's going to be all right. But then I do love the stories where things go back. I hate to say batshit crazy, and you know, and the doc, it, doc, it goes out of control. The Doctor, and he has to regroup. And everything, but he's able to think on his feet as he's doing it, yeah. and that's what I think partly makes the doctor. You know, he never gives up hope. Right. There's there's, there's that level of compassion for humanity that's always there, burning under the surface. Uh, the doctor is, is certainly not beyond letting somebody dig their own grave and fall into it and then cover themselves back up again. Uh, but but for the general idea, you know. The doctor has a ton of compassion for the human race and wants to see the human race succeed and survive. Right. I see. I think the doctor is a lot of times in the stories he's an agent of change, they or an agent of change, and that doesn't guarantee that everybody's going to live. But that guarantees that things are going to change. Well, that's the interesting thing because they addressed that a lot during the Matt Smith era, and especially like the Demon's Run story, you know, where it came to a head and everything because the silence, you know was trying to eliminate the doctor and the whole thing with Madame, you know, Gregorian, you know, basically. And I got the name right there. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, you know, the whole thing there and, you know, how the doctor called back all his personal favors to, you know, be able to go up against the church. And it was really well done. And, you know, when the doctor comes calling for a favor, he knows something big. Also, uh, Mary, to piggyback on, on your um, about your point about you know about sometimes not everybody lives in order to make that change. I mean, we just uh, finished reviewing uh, Brain and Morbius, and the Doctor himself is uh, going up against the Sisters of Karn because he's like nobody dies, so no, there's no change. You guys are staying stagnant as a as a group for all these centuries because nobody dies, um, and I guess. You know, from his perspective, since he goes through a regeneration and basically, quote-unquote, dies, like, he goes through changes, and he understands that more than anybody could. Like, how necessary it is in order to sort of refresh your outlook. Yeah, I think the doctor, in the doctor's mind, the biggest enemy is stagnation and rigid thinking, non-creative thinking. Even to the level of sacrificing him or herself, as we saw in in the time war with the day of the doctor, you know, the, the, the doctor, it kind of leads back to the sister of Karn as well, where, you know, the, the doctor gave up being the doctor because the only solution to the time war was to to not do what the doctor does. And then when, when you go back on it again inside the doctor's timeline, the, the later doctors, you know, 10 and 11, realize, okay, that wasn't, wasn't an aberration. That was actually showing the ultimate level of compassion for this you know, for the situation. But he sacrifices his own opinion of himself. He does it knowing he's not, you know, he's going to go through this massive trauma. Well, I think the whole thing with the time war, you know, totally affected him so much that, you know, he needed to become the war doctor. Right. And he had given up the name doctor at that point. 
that he he didn't feel like he deserved it because of all the deaths, all you know, because when you saw in that epi- that mini episode when he said, "Hey, I'm the doctor. I'm here to save you," mm-hmm. the captain of that ship was like, "No, you're a time lord. Uh, you're just as bad as the Daleks." Right. And it's just like, and the look on his face was like, "Oh, this yeah. is not good." Right. He saw the necessity of it. He made the hard decision, but that didn't mean didn't mean he had to like it. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. exactly. I don't think he liked it at all. No, which is interesting. What about you guys out there? Any thoughts on what we're talking about or such? So, you know, we definitely want you guys getting involved with us. Oh. Okay. Two people. Barbara. Sure, please. This I, is. I, I, I grew up watching the classic movies. Now I'm like watching these new ones, and it's like phenomenal to me. Because I remember, I don't remember which one of the classic ones, but somebody says, Well, doctor, doctor of what? And he goes, Doctor of everything. And it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Wow, cool. And now one of the newer ones said it, I, I think it was Kapala, he said, I'm the doctor of everything. <laughs> it's like his confidence grew without being arrogant. You know, so he's evolved without being there. He shows humanity the best of what we can be. So that's why I see Doctor. The best of what we can be is he's evolving himself. You know? Well, it's very true, especially when we were, like, I agree with with Capaldi's and everything. I especially thought, I felt that with Colin's Doctor, because Colin's Doctor was supposed to be a regeneration gone wrong. And he was supposed to be evolving finally becoming the doctor that we expected him to become and everything, but the arrogance that he portrayed at the very beginning of his regeneration and it's like, he was very unlikable and they didn't have they had a plan for it, they had but the whole thing was going on with the BBC kind of threw that into whack and you see, especially on the big finish stories that Colin has done his doctor is the complete doctor, which is a shame because he could have done a great job with it. You try things, some things don't work. Exactly, and okay. that, that's, I hate to say it, that's what we're seeing right now with Doctor Who. And, oh, but, we're no. not, <laughs> but we're not getting that right now, To We're not going into that too much. Well, the last thing that you said, was it that the Can you put the microphone? Yeah. Am I? Yeah, we can hear you now. <laughs> Too loud for myself. On the last on the comment, what she said, uh, they fail, failed gloriously. When we were hearing in the Farscape panel, they tried things. Um, a couple of things. Let's see. Uh, one on um, um, we were talking about um, how Paul McCann really um, came to his own through the, um, the big finish. Don't. Um, one of the things that kept the eighth doctor, or brought the eighth doctor alive for me was the novels. Oh, yeah. She had that big yeah. span. Right. And of course, since I had seen the movie with Paul McGann, that was the face that I put on the eighth doctor. And then, as you say, the big finish, they're really excellent. Uh, two, when um, you said um, everybody believes him, that's true, except for the friends and families of the companions. <laughs> good, very good point. Now that we finally see them, absolutely true. I mean, would you? This guy you don't know comes running into your house and like, hey, I'm going to take away your son, your daughter, your lover, no problem, right? You're good with that, right? right. Usually your teenage daughter. Usually your teenage daughter. Like, that isn't creepy at all. Who is this person you're going away with, Rose? <laughs> <laughs> and I think the last one is the war doctor does not work for me. Really? Uh, not at not all. Not John Hurt's portrayal. Nothing against John Hurt, but their portrayal of it. I would rather they had done Paul McGann. I think that would have been a heck of a lot better. I feel that. But also, John Hurt, he's, he's too calm and serene about everything. He's going through all this. He's, I realize he's supposed to be tired of it, but I don't get the impression that he's been fighting for a very long time. He's just too calm and serene. He doesn't give the, the impact. I agree. I, I, I also don't get the impression that John Hurt's been the War Doctor for a huge amount of time just because he's older when we see him. I, I think he regenerated into, we see it, we see him regenerate into that. Um, 
Actually, he was a young man. Yeah, he was a younger person. Oh, God, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. It was like the reflection of him from, like, alien era. Well, then I completely agree. I also get the idea that he is been a veteran. I I feel like when we see Palm again in that mini episode, he feels much more tired and worn in that episode. Um, mostly, I really like John Hurt's portrayal, actually, of the War Doctor. I just want more Palm again, period, and story. Always. <laughs> yeah, well, to me, Nine is more the PTSD. Yes, I, I love Nine. Yeah. Yeah. I love Nine so much. Definitely. Yeah, I agree with you. It would have been great for Paul McGann to have taken on that role, just to, so we could have a, a continuity that it's injecting another character into the into the mix. What's yeah. up? What I always notice about Nine specifically is I know that when Kirk came around, they started calling him the War Doctor. But during season nine, we always looked at Eccleston as the Doctor after the war, yeah. so the war veteran Doctor. Yeah, right. Um, and in our post, you know, Iraq conflict world. Um, you know, that was the first time that British audiences and Americans what really saw warfare on right. a real high definition, graphically violent way. Oh, exactly. Because before that was like you know, when you exactly bring up PTSD, he is the, he's the the identifier for right. all those people that went through that into the Doctor Who world. And I think if you look at like the modern telling of Sherlock. Look at the modern version of Dr. Watson. You know, oh, the North he's an is, is not just exactly. on the thing in the book. There are these vicious images of the Afghanistan conflict, and I think the BBC is basically using these characters to relate to those audiences. Yeah. I mean, you really see that in the episode Dalek with Nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, the, just when he first realizes it's a Dalek and he goes like just ballistic, and that's the first time you really see. Not lose it. It's terrifying and heartbreaking, and uh, well, especially you know, it's it, that's what a lot of veterans ran yeah. into, especially after like Vietnam and stuff. If they had to deal if they saw, an, I hate to say it, an Asian indiv- individual or such, and how they reacted to seeing that, and twenty years later or something, still going through it, you know, and the reaction of seeing how angry he got at that Dalek and everything. And, you know, it was like, I almost expected the Doctor to rip that Dalek apart hand by hand. And he did that perfectly. Yeah, I I agree with you on on that. And this is why, as a veteran myself, I I identify with a lot of the new new era Doctors, the reliable era Doctors, because, you know, you look at, as you said, Eccleston is the the immediate post-war. He's going through a whole bunch of PTSD. Tennant is out there trying to to make things right by doing as much good as he possibly can. Um, you get into to Matt Smith, and it's like I want to forget everything. I want to just do more things, but forget about what happened back there. And then Capaldi was brilliant as the finally settling in, accepting everything, and saying, "I want to make sure that every good piece I do from here on out ensures that this never happens again because I've seen it and I don't want to be there again." Which then makes me really happy for Whitaker, which seems to be a we've closed the book. It's a rebirth. Let's start fresh and try again. That's a good question back there. Okay. You were talking about how the uh, doctor's confidence and able to solve a lot of things. Well, you believe uh, he's lived over 900 years. (laughs) So you see a lot of things in that time, and things don't phase you too much. And if some, the present situation is a little different from something you've seen before, even if it is, you've had so much experience of uh, working things out that you feel confidence you'll find a solution. I also think that uh, the doctor, uh, and that's a good point, because I also think that the doctor um, comes from the you know grand British literary tradition of Sherlock Holmes. Like, you have a guy who's intellectually the smartest person in the room. Now, I think, you know, what they did with the doctors, they made him compassionate, whereas Holmes was, you know, not. No um, but, um But it's it's always cool to have, like, somebody in there, somebody that you can work with that is moving the plot along. Well, I also think that's why the companions are there. 
because it's <laughs> Watson, easy to become right. jaded. <laughs> so you've got your, you've got your, yeah, you've got your, you know, time traveling Holmes and Watson, really. <laughs> Every hero needs a sidekick. Well, exactly, but you know, the companions were meant to be because you had this bigger than life character of the Doctor. The companions were meant to be you or me traveling with them, someone you could relate to. Our, our lens to access that world. Exactly. Sir. I've only relatively recently started watching Doctor Who in depth. I'm really shocked at how godlike the character has gotten as you get later on <laughs> in the series. But one thing I wanted to ask, when you look at a, a franchise that's been around for a half century, there usually works out to be pieces of it that you just can't fit into any sort of coherent canon. And they, then, at some point they get arbitrarily declared non-canon. Like you see this in Star Trek with the Star Trek and Captain Kirk meets God and Voyager where there's that one episode where Janeway turns into a salamander. Is there, are, is there <laughs> Doctor Who episodes that have been sort of declared non-canonical? Oh, yes. Can you give some examples of them and why? Well, the Doctor Who movie is a big one because yes. of, because of the uh, declaration that he's you know half human and right. yeah, it doesn't quite feel like the, the BBC aspect is more of an Americanized Fox version. Now, also during the uh, uh, Hartnell era, I mean, they hadn't even really, they didn't call him a Time Lord. There was no, like, I don't think Gallifrey was mentioned, right? Gallifrey, Gallifrey so, I mean, you know, I mean, he, all we knew about him is that he, did we even know he stole the box? That he stole the TARDIS? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's the only thing you knew. And that was, he was with his granddaughter. And Great. that's it. Granddaughter. Okay, right. Yeah. Air quotes. So, yes. No, no, they never used air quotes. I do. Okay. Because they, 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 that's canon also, you know, that she might not be his granddaughter, too, you know. Really? That's news to me. Yeah. Yeah, Tenet said. In, in the TV. Yeah. In, in the yeah. she is, but if you go to the books and the, and the big finish, it starts to kind of get a little murky. Exactly. Wow. That's, that's why. Yeah, that's, yeah. But, yeah. but it's interesting because then you get into, is the big finish canon or not? Right. And no, it's not. It's the media is always the canon. Right, exactly. exactly. The TV show is it. Yeah, you know. The TV series has acknowledged some things about big finish, but and then made them canon, but until they do so, it's not canon. Right. Exactly. It's just a nice theory. So no air quotes. Right. Exactly. So, no air quotes. So I will, I will remove those air quotes for now. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. But it, it'll be interesting to see what Jody's doctor meeting with Susan or a regenerated Susan. Or, you know. I've been waiting for that since New Who started. Oh, I am really shocked they haven't gone down that path yet, especially yeah. Moffat, because he was so good about trying to bring back a lot of the early elements mm-hmm. and try to fit them in in some way. But um, uh, yeah, he. That, I mean, they introduced you know one of his scripts. They introduced the doctor's do- a doctor's daughter, which was not right. She was supposed to, but yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's still there's still ways that they could they could work that. But um, another thing you mentioned. Uh, brings up, and you mentioned Paul McGann as well, the other thing that Paul McGann's doctor, I think, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is like one of the very few times in the 50 years where all of a sudden we look at the doctor as sort of a romantic figure. Yes. Where like he has, because, I mean, even though, you know, with, 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 uh, even ironically enough, oddly enough, I mean, Hartnell has uh, kind of a um, sort of Mm, little like flirtation with uh, that old woman in the Aztecs. Correct. Right. Um, but apart from that, you don't see that very often. Like I, you know, I'm hard pressed to think of any time in Tom's era, and that long he lasted longer than anybody where he's even remotely flirting with anyone. What? Uh, we got. You. Yeah. I didn't yeah. feel like that was like I didn't feel like that was romantic though. No. Really? Yeah. Well, maybe I mean if you add the, the knowledge of what they were Number doing two. off screen. Well, like. yeah. <laughs> oh, I think there's flirting going. There's yeah. definitely yeah. flirting with the yeah, this, with the lies and around Paris. Hmm. I mean, that was so romantic. Oh yeah. But by the end of Romana's run on the show, they didn't even make eye contact or oh, yeah, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. But, but that, 
Well, yeah, I, yeah, and there's an, he also has an attachment with Sarah Jane. Maybe calls, but he refers specifically refers to Sarah Jane as his best friend. Yeah, like, right. he I doesn't think he doesn't think of her in a sexual way at all. Right. Um, the, the, so. first, the first like romantic encounter that is 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 blatant is the is the doctor in the movie. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then that opens the door as we see with with. Uh, and then they just, they just they just yeah, yeah they go well. Oh, RT, yeah, RT, 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 RT goes Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you sort of get that with, um, you know, uh, nine is implied, you know, with the, um, when they're on uh, the uh, space station when he's... Oh, with the the tree woman? With the tree woman? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there was, and then, of course, Tenet and Rose. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the ultimate. Yeah, that's that's, the ultimate. That's the, uh, you know, well... That's the second. I mean, I don't know. Is that the ultimate love story, or is the Doctor and River the ultimate love story? I would say... I mean, the Doctor and River should be, right? (laughs) But it doesn't feel that way, does it? The Doctor and River River was a, a more mature version of the relationship like the the rose the rose 10 stuff was very very flirty very infatuous and some of the almost, um, almost like a high school well, relationship yeah. it's such an uneven power dynamic yeah yes. yes. and there's a, you know, a little bit of Martha, Martha 10 going on and also then um, Amy 11 was also very kind of flirty but the thing is when Amy tried to partake in it yeah. the doctor was like, like so nine and ten to me feels sexual. They feel like sexual beings. Yes. Whereas eleven feels more asexual. Mm-hmm. Like yes. he's if he's doing it, he's reverse because River wants to, and he's a good enough <laughs> alien to do it. Um, but well, I like, think that's the big. So what we're saying is that ten and Rose are more like the dating stage. And and doc, the Doctor and River are once they're married. I, I just think Matt's. I just think eleven is. I, I don't know what your marriage is like. But. <laughs> well, I'm not saying it's not it's not you know fun and sexual and romantic, but it doesn't have that initial well, like youthful like married couple. Right. It doesn't yeah. have that useful because they never really have a courtship. Right. They're just sort of like once he's introduced, they're married. And then the ultimate the ultimate consummation of that is is twelve and River on on the. The last oh, encounter yeah. between them, where it's Brilliant. there's not really so much of a sexual component. It's very romantic. Like yeah. these are our yeah. twilight years. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. But, you know, these he knows this is the last time we're gonna. You know, yeah. he knows his wife is going to die. Right. Type thing, and that's. But it's and it's interesting. We'll get to his sector. Uh, but it's just interesting because, like, with always, like, with, as you guys said, it's like the married couple for River and the Doctor, and it always felt like. He was the nice, calm one, and she was like the kinkster or something like that, <laughs> trying to refresh their, their marriage all the time. Honey, I've got the handcuffs, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> so, and it just, it was always fun, and I always got that from them. That's the way it felt. And one thing you didn't touch on was I think a lot of times people forget he was married before he even started. You're right. Yeah. And he talked about that, like, that was something hard to get over. So before the... Rose and River Song and all these other people. He had like he had a family. I know it's a little questionable with granddaughter. Yeah, no, and, no, and exactly. Audiobooks and because um, he has he's like he said he's mentioned the wife yeah, a few he times. He mentioned the wife, me and missionary man. Then like with pain, like I had kids once. Cause he did yeah. mention that with mm-hmm. I think it was Bill or um. Martha, I think he mentioned really quick, which went, you had children, like, and then it's like, I don't talk about that, mm-hmm. but even in the new series, he mentioned it once or twice, you get little bits of it, it's like, I had a marriage, I had kids one time. No, there, very there true. There was a great love story that we just have. We better heard that, that and right I still now. like to know. Me too. You know, who was this for point? Who was it? We, we know about the granddaughter, but who was her parents? Right. right. What kind of, did they have other children? Are they still in Galloway? Yeah, his granddaughter. Yeah. I think that's another component that we're touching on that's really essential to who the Doctor is, is mystery. Like, I, I, I never want to see a Doctor backstory, like, mm-hmm. here's everything nope. explained, like, kind oh, I of hate thing. When they, I hate when they do that. 
Maybe a little bit. It'd be kind of funny though. It's nice to speculate. Wouldn't it be though, kind right? of funny though if the doctor's wife was the master? No. Well, because only a husband and wife could really hate each other that much. <laughs> <laughs> just say they were old friends. But... <laughs> Go ahead. I was just wondering if you guys think that there's a difference between the American and the British way of flirting or courting. Because I think there is. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah there's 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 I don't know where I picked this up, but I got somewhere somebody said, well, the British people don't do that, we're much more subtle. And that subtlety confuses us and leads more to uh, questioning. Was that real or was that just my imagination? Oh, no, for sure. So they keep us guessing more, I think, than the British public. The British public, I think. But what do you think? Oh, that's a good question because a lot of the, I, I guess, you know, the United States are very subtle. They're very, you know, the flirting type thing, and most guys are oblivious to it anyway. But. A lot of times people from Europe or Australia or another culture, they come on like a, if they like you, they're going to come on like a steam, you know, steam engine, you know, straight forward and let you know right. and everything. There's well, a, I think British is actually more subtle. Yeah, definitely more subtle. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a funny story uh, my grandpa used to tell me um, about how a lot of his friends ended up with British wives after the war. And he told me, he was like, yeah, imagine this. A bunch of overconfident American boys show up at base with a bunch of overconfident British women, and their men just don't do much. So we fireboard sparked, and we all just it went crazy. And I was just like, did that really happen? And I looked it up. There was a huge influx of British women into America after World War II and World War I. Um, and it's because of that, that comment level. It's because, I agree, I think that little bit of flirting is just, it, it's more toned down. It reminds me of the birds of paradise. Some of them are the same species. They're slightly different in appearance, but their dance is completely different from the bird of paradise. Hmm. And their dances are just, just the process of flirting is Interesting. I, well, I also think that it's deliberately written well, yes. for, for you to be able to interpret it on whatever level you wanted it to be interpreted as. I don't think they were blatantly going for for anything really. They they wanted to leave it open. It does make me think, though, that, you know, one of the components, and I'm, you know, kind of jokingly offhand, I mentioned that, you know, it doesn't matter to me, to me personally, it doesn't matter if the doctor is straight or, you know, what color or what uh, gender, but if he or she is not British, I think that would really throw me off. <laughs> like, yeah, like, 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 I think, I think essentially, like, the character has to be played by somebody within the UK. Thank God Michael Jackson didn't get that role like they were talking about. <laughs> well, that's, that, uh, the, yeah, that goes without saying. There's okay. a lot of reasons for that, thank God. Are you ready for me? Yes. Um, I, I believe this is the guy next to me who had mentioned about Canaan, where, where Canaan had split, you know, where, where you know, uh, things are muddy, like a pet. Put the, put the microphone the up, yeah. The second doctor at the very end, there was a time war going on. And, then, and that's when you went to the third doctor. So, but so is the time war back then have anything to do with the time war at the Doctor Reboot? What do y'all think about that? Uh, they they called it the last great time war. I think it's the full title. Oh. And so, I, if there was a time war previously, it could have been a smaller altercation. Kind of like we we thought World War One was going to be the war to end all wars. Right. Uh, yeah. And so, I, I think that the the biggest one we know is is the last great time war. Basically, the between the second, what she's referencing to is the second and third doctor. If you take a look at the regeneration from the second to the third, one of the thing, one of the fan theories is is that he was actually working with the Time Lords before he was exiled to Earth. In other words, the second doctor was off having adventures on the behest of the Time Lords. 
I've heard that that they had those adventures. That's how you got the two doctors story. Yeah, exactly. And that's what that's what they're talking about. That's why I think she's trying to reference is that uh, it's never been you know officially canceled. Yeah, exactly. They had it was it was supposed to be the doctor and Jamie. Yeah, exactly. And, and that they were going through those adventures, and there's supposed to be this whole thing about a time war, and they were being agents of the, the Time Lords. That's the season 6B theory? That, yeah, yeah, the 6B yeah, theory, right. exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> In reference to that, though, it may be apocryphal, but I heard that when Robert Holmes wrote The Two Doctors, he was under the mistaken impression that it was the second doctor who worked with Tina and not the third. So that might be the you know, the outward where there's a Doctor hybrid that's he's like a mix between the second Doctor and the third Doctor, and it's actually the fan, this fan film. Actually, it's the last time Pertwee actually he showed they did the regeneration and they showed him changing into Pertwee, and then they spliced it in with him coming out of the TARDIS and everything. So it's out there. Just look for it up on YouTube. Got another one. So earlier we talked about about uh, Tennant and Rose as the dating, but I think if we look at it, especially the way that ended, it's more like the, the early, very committed, you know, like the, like your first years as a married couple. Because I mean, the way she came back into the series was with you know massive explosions, kind of, and a giant gun strapped to her. And absolutely nobody. Like many ex-wives do. Got it. <laughs> And the way she ends it as being like the ultimate weapon in the universe. And oh, by the way, you have to go live in this own dimension with your own personal doctor who will die when you die. Oh, and I, 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 I agree with that because if you look at how much he mourns that loss, he still talks about her. Right now. Well, and that was the whole thing with the doctor and Martha because he was mourning Rose the whole time, and Martha was basically the rebound. Yeah, I'd say Martha was a brilliant character who got totally shafted. Yes. Oh, 100%. Yes. And, you know, because she she was brilliant. And I was so happy when they announced that she was going to be coming back for the season with Catherine Tate, also, for episodes. Because I liked her character that much. I loved her in Torchwood, too. Yeah. I thought her guest in Torchwood was really good. Captain Jack's another... Oh, Captain Jack. Uh, <laughs> Captain Jack. Oh, there's tons of fanfic out there about that. <laughs> that chased him through, you know, multiple time zones just to cling to the outer edge of the garden. Isn't it about him or is it about the fact that he can't age? Is it about both? <laughs> I want to I hear about uh, uh, as far as adversaries. Um, I, I've heard various Doctor Who actors, actresses say they don't feel like they're really playing the Doctor until they go up against the Daleks. True. Um, and, and I know that, you know, and I think has everybody except for Paul? Paul? Yes. Paul. Yeah. Paul in the short. Oh, okay. Yeah. The short, Paul gets yeah, the Yeah, but technically that is canon, so yeah. But it was on TV. It is. <laughs> well, technically, it wasn't on TV. It was online. Ah, all right. But anyway, um, but yeah, every doctor has fought the Daleks because actually Peter's doctor almost didn't because they were having issues. I know with the uh, Terry Nation people, and they were able to negotiate, and that's how you got one of the Peter's last stories was a Dalek story. So it's interesting to see, you know, we finally got at the New Year's special, we got Jody to take on the Daleks. And I'm hoping this next season, whenever it happens, we won't get the Daleks for, for the whole season. I feel like one of the, the things that amplifies the Dalek doctor relationship, though, is, is not, not sending out giant fleets of Daleks and, like, hey, we're going to, you know, take over the universe or the Earth or whatever else. I like them a lot more when it's. 
the doctor matching wits with a small yeah. number of the Daleks. So or, or with Davros. And that's why I like the New Year's special a lot, because it showed how powerful one Dalek could be. Right. They actually made the Daleks scary again. Right. Especially right. with the entire zombie lashing onto you kind of thing. Oh, that was, that yeah. was freaky when you saw the tentacles. It was like, ah. Kind of like Galaxy Quest in some ways. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting, and I think, you know, uh, this also spells about what makes the Doctor the Doctor is his relationship with the Master. Like you know, we joked about it earlier, but his his relationship with the master goes back to when they were boys, you know, young, you know, students, right, and everything. And it was it's really it was really interesting to see how that came about and how it's evolved. Because Delgado's doc, sorry, Delgado's master was just pure evil, and but he was he was like one of those Bond villains that you really liked, and I loved how they had. The disguises, and you know, he would like to reveal it's the master, and it says, "Of course, it's a master story. It's ridiculous, you know." <laughs> and then, you know, I'm glad that you know they gave it time after Dugato passed away to bring the master back and did it properly, and then Ainley chewed up every scene he was in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going to talk about Eric Roberts because <laughs> you know, that's just out there. And then when they brought him back with John Sim, I just thought this was cool. I like the first appearance of it. Not the Madman Master. No, not the Ghost Rider Master or I the mean, Harry Potter the Red, Master. I mean, the Red Eyes started with eight. You can't even give credit. <laughs> but I did think Moffat redeemed that Master with the Capaldi era. Ah, uh, got it. Yes. I love Missy so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I thought, what's up, Mark? What, would you like to have seen Derek Jacoby playing Evil Master? Yes. Kind of, a little know, bit longer? Because yeah. we only really got the one the one appearance with right. him on TV. And the, his his being the Evil Master lasted, what, two minutes? Yeah, Three exactly. Minutes. Would you like a full appearance as oh, Evil Master? He would have been great, especially against Tenet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's... He's done some big finish. Yes. So that's good. I, I would have loved to have had him have the opportunity to work with John Hurt. That would have been a very, very, from an acting perspective, that would have been, crazy. That would have been an amazing, an epic story that like everybody would have to listen to. Well, I know in Big Finish yeah. they're doing the War Master. Also. Right. So. so it would have been like a natural, like, it would have, but, you know, it's unfortunate that that can't happen. No, exactly. And then, you know, Michelle Gomez. That would have blown Big Finish's budget for like two years. <laughs> I think Michelle, I think she brought back the crazy into the master again. The crazy and the cunning. But yes. in a fun way. And the, the oh. sass. She brought back the sass. Oh, yes. yes. Well, I think that's another thing that makes it after the doctors. There's complicated relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not, it's not black and white. There, I mean, there, there was obviously a lot of deep feeling between the Doctor and the Master at some point, and, and actually still continues in one way or another. And, and the fact that the, the Doctor is, is sometimes confused by the reappearance of the Master because the Master seems to seems to die a lot. Yeah, it's a very definitive death. Oh, no, back. Yeah, okay, well, how did you do that? Also, how can I redeem you? Because that's my, my gig, is to redeem you. It always seemed like, you know... Why don't just the two of us go off and explore the galaxy together? Right. You know, and was that true like in the classic era though? No. See, uh, I was going back say. to the master being the wife, and then <laughs> the two of us just go off together. Well, we don't need anybody. Why else. can't it be like the way it used to be? <laughs> <laughs> I miss you. You completed me. <laughs> I can't quit you. <laughs> But as far as I as far as I know, and I'm trying to think about it, but it looks sounds like that the Daleks are the only race that's ever faced the, all the Doctors, all the incarnations of the Doctors. Yes. Yeah. So, and even close, like Master probably comes yeah, maybe Cyberman. second. Cybermen would be probably second or yeah. third, right? Because a large portion where they didn't appear. Yeah, because the Cybermen after the second Doctor era didn't right. appear Cyber- until Tom's era. Right. And after that, I think they became fairly regular. Um, obviously, they didn't face eight, right? Other than Big Finish, 
Um, Have they done a big finish with him in the Cybermen? Nine technically didn't get Cybermen. We, we got like a... A helmet. We got a helmet. Yes. <laughs> the great race. Yeah. Look at you now. Um, yeah. So that's, that's three... Mm-hmm. But it makes sense for the Daleks to keep coming back. I mean, don't overuse them. Sometimes they do. But you have to remember that, that Doctor Who grew out of World War II Britain. Yes. Right. And the Daleks represent fascism. And fascism comes back if we are not vigilant. Yes, we yeah, know. <laughs> and so I think that's why the Daleks are such a defining villain. Well, and they're, they're also deeply entrenched in legacy. I mean, they, they were there from the very beginning. You know, was, the second story was the Daleks. You know, that was their introduction. So they've, they've got a long-standing legacy in this franchise. Yeah, I've always liked it when I've seen the Daleks appear outside of Doctor Who to, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like the, what was it, the Lego Batman movie? Yes. Oh, yeah. the Daleks yeah. appear. Yes. <laughs> or when you also had them in Space Jam, too. And it was, it was wait, really wait, surprising. Is space Jam? Yes. I need to rewatch that. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was shocked when it was, and so it was just like, oh, okay. So the Daleks are there too. So it's just like, actually, it wasn't Space Jam. It was the Looney Tunes movie that they did with Steve Martin. Oh, okay. So the Daleks were part of the bad guys. I've seen Space Jam a lot. I know it was surprising, but I was. <laughs> <laughs> We're finding out so much. I was going to say, wow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're so there iconic. Sometime. Like the the uh, sci-fi sing-along that opened up opened up Dragon Con on Thursday. You know, there's they included the uh, the mashup of the uh, you know do let's do the time warp again in that sing-along. So it's a Doctor Who version of that. And when the Dalek parts come up, I'm singing along, and I just shift right into Dalek voice. You know, and I stopped doing that laugh. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know. So. We've got about ten minutes left. Um, final, you know, any final thoughts with what you wanted to see with the doctor and such, or talking about the doctor himself or herself? Uh, well, my thought, such as it is, is that the, they have kind of a tricky thing to do with this doctor because you want him; he needs to change over time. He needs to have an arc. He otherwise, you know, he can't remain just he or she. Um, two-dimensional. He's not a comic book figure. He's, he's going to change and grow over time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I've always said about yeah. Doctor Who is the one constant in the show is change. And that's what it's all about. Right. But then but then yet they have to maintain some similarity, you know, so you know this is the Doctor still. Some, like, flashpoints, landmark, uh, established things. So... I think what's interesting is how they play with that. And, you know, with the different doctors as they show up, <clears throat> what do they maintain? You know, whatever they maintain is really the core of who the doctor is. So that's just I'm probably obvious, I guess. No, 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 that was good. I mean, it, it, is, it is the challenge that they've been faced with for over 50 years, is trying to uh, make sure the character is still recognizable and yet, you know, putting someone in that position that can do their own thing, so they're not um, sort of uh, hindered by all that baggage, you know, because um, there's a lot of it, you know. And some some of the actors, actresses, take little bits and pieces from the the ones before him or her. Um, but uh, I think that that's what makes it kind of unique. And you know, um, for me personally. Uh, whenever I think of like what defines the doctor, when we first kind of came up with the concept for this panel, the first thing that hit me was the line from actually from Craig Ferguson, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know when he's talking when he's singing about the Doctor Who, he he has the line uh, intellect and romance versus brute force and cynicism, and I'm like perfect that works for me. That's like if you're describing Doctor Who, what makes Doctor Who Doctor Who, that works. That's the best for me. Oh, exactly. And that pretty much says it all about Doctor Who. Because, you know, the Doctor always tries to bring in 
some kind of peaceful way to fix something. He doesn't no. carry a gun. He d- yeah, well, he shoots, not like some people yes. say he didn't. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he can use one, but he doesn't carry one. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't mind gassing people, or, you know. Or <laughs> taking, uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, you know. But it's interesting because the doctor always, you know, I'm giving you one chance. And, you know, let's get off this planet or you're going to face the consequences. He gives them always, you know, don't make me do this and everything. And it was interesting. In Family of Blood, he re- they really showed the consequences, what the doctor can do. Oh, yeah. But that, Tenet, that was terrifying. I think I think Tenet is the most... I mean, he's obviously the you know, got the reputation. I mean, he's here, so he's... But he's obviously, like, the, the, the reputation for being one of the most, like, attractive, but he's also the most scary. Like, he kills the most people. Yeah. I mean, he... he, he accidentally, mostly, kind of. But, you know... In Runaway Bride? I mean, he's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, very much so. You know, it's it's telling all these qualities we're, we are describing. The what makes the doctor the doctor? None of them have anything to do with gender nope. or skin color. No, it's, exactly. It's, it's the innate qualities, the 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 compassion and the alienness and and the intellect. That's what makes the doctor the doctor. You know. One thing that um, that you touched on is like you know different things that he is like if he was one person all the general uh, regenerations were one person. Can you, you bring the, the microphone closer? Hero, you have the, the warrior and the you know the lover, and then you have the grandfather. You have the first doctor was like your grandfather, right? And then all these like your grumpy uncle. You know, like that uh, Clara Oswald said. Oh, let's see. When all three doctors were together, said so you're the warrior, you're the lover, and I forgot which one uh, Matt Smith's doctor was. The one but, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that 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 makes so much sense. It's like these different parts of us, like the warrior, the lover, the peacemaker, whatever. So I, I just wonder what y'all thought. Wow. We've met the doctor, and he is a... He is. <laughs> well, and that's actually a good observation, too, because there's there's plenty of times in the franchise, the one that sticks out to me the most is, is the, the episode with Vesuvius, uh, where the doctor can also make mistakes. The doctor is fallible, and it takes the companion to point back and say, you have the power to save them. Do it. Yeah. And he opens the TARDIS and says, come with me. Mm-hmm. I think I think you hit on something that's really brilliant about the series, and they definitely didn't start out this way, right? They didn't start out think we're going to do regenerations and we're going to have all these different people. But as a result of that, I mean, we all love we can all love all of the doctors, at least love parts of all of the doctors. But we all have our doctors, the ones that really touch us, the ones that we are the most we relate the most to. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's amazing that we can feel so much. Um, for a character, and that it can evolve, that we can be okay with letting that one go. I think it teaches us all something really wonderful. Yeah. No, I could agree with that completely, and I think that's a good way to actually wrap this thing up. I want to thank everybody for being here today. You could, you'll be able to hear this online probably next week through the ESO Network on Earth Station Who, and you could find us at esonetwork.com or iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Thank you guys very, very much. If you liked our panel, please use the mobile app. Rate us five stars. We'd really appreciate it because we like coming back to Dragon Con. Anyone thank the Brick Tracks? And also, before we forget, don't forget the Dragon Con charity. We're doing the American Heart Association. They really need our help. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, guys. You guys were awesome. And thanks to Judy for doing the microphone. Hey, Judy, I'm going to put you to work. Can you take... You have been listening to Earth Station Who, a bi-weekly pop culture podcast dedicated to all things Doctor Who, featuring talents from across the universe. All topics on the show are the sole opinions of the individual and are used for entertainment value alone. You can subscribe to our podcast up on iTunes, Stitcher, or follow our blog at www.esopodcast.com. You can also follow us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+. If you enjoyed the show, please leave feedback up on iTunes.
everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the TeePublic store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.